In this episode, I interview Elena Sanino, a life coach who shares her experience with pregnancy, cancer, money mindset, and offers juicy tips on feeling more alive. The Mental Health and Wealth Show, The Mental Health and Wealth Show, The Mental Health and Wealth Show. Welcome to the Mental Health and Wealth Show podcast. This is your host, Melanie Lockhart. My journey with money and mental health started in 2012 when I was depressed and anxious about my student loan debt. In 2013, I started my blog, Dear Debt, which chronicled my debt payoff journey and changed my life. I later published my book of the same name about how I paid off $81,000 in student loan debt. It was my time blogging that showed me that I wasn't alone in my mental health struggles around money and that my own mental health impacted how I related to money. My mission now is to help others feel less alone and tackle these difficult topics. As a disclaimer, I am not a mental health professional or a financial professional, and all content on the show should not be considered professional medical or financial advice. As a trigger warning, please note that content on the show may include sensitive topics around mental health and suicide. If you are in distress, please get in touch with a professional by texting HOME to 741741. Thank you so much for being here, and if you'd like to support the podcast, please subscribe and review on your favorite podcast platform, and feel free to share episodes on social media and tag me at Melanie Lockhart. I would love to hear from you. This is Melanie Lockhart, host of the Mental Health and Wealth Show. Today, I'm interviewing Elena Sonino, who is a life coach, speaker, and yoga teacher. Her writing has appeared on Tiny Buddha, Chopra.com, and Elephant Journal, and her debut book, Inhibit Your Joy, A Book of Nudges, was published in January. On her podcast, Sunrise in Your Pocket, she offers playful, easy-to-implement guidance on how to explore moving beyond mindset and into embodiment, up-loving with your self-care practice, and replacing survival mode with thriving. Love it! So excited to chat with you today on the podcast. Oh my goodness, Melanie. I am delighted and grateful to be here. Thank you for having me. Of course, you have such a fascinating story, and I can't wait to share it with the audience. So, you know, you had this experience that helped you nurture joy and kind of flip the script after finding out you were pregnant. Obviously, pregnancy can be a huge life change, something that is either Mm -hmm. something that people want or maybe don't want. Um, Can you share what happened and, you know, what happened after that? Sure. So, you know, it's interesting because I wanted nothing more than to be pregnant. (laughs) It was one of the two things I wanted most in my life at that time in my all going really growing up and through my 20s. And yet I wasn't supposed to be able to get pregnant. And we were on a fertility path. This was back when um, to pick a donor egg, you needed to go through actual real binders of paper to pick a donor. And we were going down that route and I was weeks away from receiving my donor egg. And I got a phone call from my doctor. I was preparing my classroom for the day at that time. I was a classroom elementary school teacher. And the doctor (laughs) answered when I called him back and he said, so I don't know how to tell you this but I think you're about five weeks pregnant. And Melanie, you would think that for someone who wanted this more than anything, that my would have, you know, squeed and oohed and odd and had all the delight, but I sobbed uncontrollable, yucky, sobbing tears because it wasn't supposed to be able to happen. And I had been, it had been drilled into my brain, even if I could, it wouldn't be viable. And in that moment, I was kind of full of, I don't know about rage, but sadness. It felt really unfair. And the doctor let me cry and then said, so here's the thing. You have, the way I see it, you have two choices. You can grieve or you can celebrate until the day you can't. And put like that, I went, oh, oh, okay, option B. (laughs) I'm all in. But here was this opportunity, this circumstance that had so much baggage around it because of 
my history as a cancer survivor and all of these pieces. But when given to me like that, this very simple choice, I went, oh, oh, yes, please. And so I paused. I went, I remember when I got off the phone, I went and told all my co-teachers. So my husband at the time was probably one of the last people to know. That's not exactly true, but there were a few teachers for him. And yeah. right, which you don't really do when you're five weeks pregnant. But but at that point, you know, all of the rules about who you're gonna tell in pregnancy went out the door. And I went home that day on my way home and did two things. I went to the pharmacy and bought a pregnancy test. I wanted to see it for myself. And I bought myself a journal to start writing letters to this unborn grain of rice that was growing inside me, who this November will turn 18. <laughs> so she was quite viable as it turned out. <laughs> wow. So it was this moment of choice, right? It was really nurturing joy by choosing it and absolutely flipping the script on logic and everything that I had been told. Yeah, it sounds like you had this thing that you wanted so badly for so long, but you were told you can't have it in this specific way. And you had done all of this emotional labor to find a donor, to do it this other way, to make things happen. It sounds like you had invested a lot of time and potentially financial resources in making this thing happen and you kind of close the door on this mm -hmm. other opportunity but then life just flipped the script and said actually you can't have a baby and we're going to give it to you now right before you're supposed to get a donor egg yes it was absolutely that you're you know it was you're right a lot of energy had been put into you know the plan as it were <laughs> and all of that just went out the window and it was fascinating right to see to really choose it and and every day i had to choose to celebrate it because every day i was worried right i had had all of these experiences just really intense um powerful medicine that had been in my body and so there were a lot of concerns about how all of that would impact this little being that was growing inside me. And yet I had to just decide every single day to wake up with that choice to nurture that joy. And there are very few things I think in life are the flip of a switch. That one in retrospect was one because it really was, okay, grieve is at the bottom of the switch, celebrate is at the top of the switch. And choosing to make sure it stayed in that place of celebration, that switch every single day. Yeah, in your case, it sounds like it was almost like a miracle, but then, you know, you had to accept the magic and the beauty and the celebration of that miracle while also acknowledging, oh my gosh, I've invested so much time and resources into this other thing, and this wasn't even a possibility, and now I have to rearrange my life in a different way. So how did this experience help you cultivate joy and gratitude when things didn't go as planned as you thought they would, but they came about in a different way? Yes. Well, you're right. I did start calling, you know, I didn't know if what gender um, they'd be born, but it was really about honoring the miracle, honoring the magic. And, and that was, I think, in terms of the continuation of, you know, how that impacted the cultivating joy and gratitude was really being in the process. So often we're focused on the destination, that outcome. And I really had to stay in the process and cultivate gratitude for my body, which was a struggle, right? Because for many years, I was in a bit of a, it was not quite my body's best ally, I guess you could say, or I didn't see it rather as my ally. It had been quote unquote broken when I had cancer or so, you know, some might think. And so I really started to, need to see my body as this beautiful source of power and wisdom and strength. And that was about the time that I realized, hmm, my body is actually giving me exactly what I needed and craved, right? I didn't need to keep seeking all these other external sources for what I wanted in terms of my joy. And so really cultivating that gratitude and staying in the process of it, in the journey versus 
the fear of what might happen down the road. Does that make sense? Totally. That makes a lot of sense. And, you know, people with anxiety like myself and other people, it's so easy to play out all the things that could go wrong. And that fear can be such a stronghold in your life. But as you said, kind of staying in the moment and staying in the process and say, I don't know what's going to happen, but let's just see and enjoy it for what it is right now. I think that's so powerful. Yeah, absolutely. And uncertainty. I mean, you know, those entire, there were a good 10 years where I feel like I lived more often than not in uncertainty for a variety of reasons. And uncertainty is this awkward limbo and everything is uncertain, right? I mean, I, in, in yoga, we talk about kind of the pause in between the inhale and the exhale, right? Or after the exhale, before the inhale. And those moments, those in-between moments, I've learned to see uncertainty as an in-between moment. And I don't know that, you know, at that point I was around 30 that I had the wisdom to see that at that time when I was so ensconced in it all. <laughs> But now I really look back and think that that was one of the key ingredients to stay in, in the uncertainty and allow the uncertainty. And, you know, the other thing that's true about me is that curiosity is one of my core values. So to really honor the uncertainty by being curious versus that overthinking. And I, too, <laughs> am an Olympic level overthinker and catastrophizer. <laughs> If if it were an Olympic Same. sport, I'd be on the podium, right? I would get gold, I think. Maybe you would get bronze or silver. Right. I think I would get gold. Right. <laughs> I'll give it to you, but you know, it depends on the day. Yeah. So yeah. So it's that it's noticing when I'm there <laughs> or celebrating when I'm not there and and then bringing myself back. And so that was really what that journey was about for me, to really stay there as much as possible. Yeah, I love that curiosity is one of your core values, same as me. Mm -hmm. I, I love being curious about life and about art and about the human experience. I also value mindfulness and gratitude, which it sounds like you do as well. And, you know, those tools really yes. helped you throughout this process and, you know, you have been through quite a lot, you know, as you mentioned earlier, that you have also battled cancer and, you know, dealing with such an illness and diagnosis like that can feel like being on the edge of life and death. And, you know, you're here today and we're so excited to chat with you and have you here with your wisdom and experience. So I'm curious, what mindset changes or practices do you have now after going through that experience? Yes. Well, you know, I think it goes back to that celebration, to that curiosity. I was in my very early 20s when I was diagnosed with Hodgkin's. In fact, just recently, this last weekend, I celebrated my 24th bone marrow birthday because Woo! what ended up healing me <laughs> was a bone marrow transplant. But the interesting thing about that bone marrow transplant, just like I ended up being able to have my daughter naturally, it was the bone marrow cells were my own. They, my bone marrow was still healthy. It was an autologous transplant. And so I think really the practice that I have come to, to realize is so important for me is this honoring of my body. You know, we we're very good at judging. I'm very good. I'll speak for myself. I'm very, you know, not only am I an Olympic level overthinker, but I can be very harsh with myself and with my body and not always speak to it in the kindest of ways, not always nourish it from a place of love and compassion, right? And so one of the practices that has really helped me navigate most things, and it's what brings me back when I feel like I'm a little bit off track, is to get rooted in my body. So coming into my breath, really um, almost loving on my body, you know, just kind of taking a body scan or dancing or connecting to my body as home, as this vehicle that allows me to be in the world. 
And so, you know, I have a few different practices for that, whether it's breath or a body scan or just dancing around my kitchen to kind of feel into what it is my body needs and craves on any given day. But that's one that has been transformational for me to, to come back to the roots of my body as a starting point, right? Instead of always my brain. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing. And I'm curious. So obviously this is not even comparable to cancer at all, but I recently got diagnosed with celiac disease, which, you know, Mm -hmm. is a autoimmune disorder related to gluten and your Mm -hmm. intestines attack the villi of your your small intestines and you have an autoimmune reaction, which can cause so many different things. And, you know, I've heard this kind of thinking along with autoimmune diseases, cancer, any type of illness that can be chronic, that people feel like their body is betraying them. And this is something that I am currently experiencing right now because it feels like my body is my enemy and it's not doing the quote right Mm -hmm. thing. And I'm just curious personally because, you know, you've kind of gone through this process and I'm, I'm curious, did you A, go through that feeling of like, feeling like your body is betraying you? And if so, how did you get over it? Because I would love to know and try to expedite my own healing. Yes. Well, do you remember I said there were very few things that I believed were flipping a switch? This is not one of them. (laughs) So yeah, yeah. I mean, so, so that's the bad news. Um, The good news is Yes, um, I have. Is that good news that I've been through it? Yes, we're going to say that it's good news. And, and that I have, but it's a, it is a constant practice, right? So yes, when I had cancer, I felt like I was broken, like my body was, we, we were not on the same page for my future at that point. Again, when I, you know, was trying to get pregnant at first, that kind of re-triggered that feeling of brokenness. And even later, I ended up, because of all of my chemotherapy, being in early menopause, um, have since, you know, because of that and the impact on my body to not have certain hormones, you know, all of the, the, the effects of that significant pain. I've had this very tumultuous relationship with my body, and it has been an ongoing practice to see my body as something that is worth loving, that isn't broken, that doesn't need to be fixed. And that has really started with practices of self-compassion, right? Of really knowing, noticing where I'm, where I'm in that place of, ah, or wanting to fix or find the cure, the solution and just pause and get curious. So one of the things that I, that has helped me honestly was yoga. And in particular, the practice of yin yoga, because yin yoga different from other hatha or what's known as, you know, vinyasa, kind of the breath to movement, all the things we see on Instagram, um, where you're moving more quickly, yin is a mostly seated practice, not completely, but mostly seated, where you stay in a shape for anywhere from 90 seconds to five minutes and up. So imagine that you're seated, you know, in a child's pose, a lot of people know that, or even just on the ground, your legs in front of you, and you're kind of folded over your legs. It's one thing to stay there for, you know, three breaths, call that five to 10 seconds, maybe 20. It's a whole other thing to stay there for two minutes, three minutes, four minutes, five minutes, because the body starts to talk to you, right? The fascia, the connective tissue starts to have things to say. (laughs) And that was the practice that helped me start seeing those sensations that I might have otherwise judged as good or bad as almost benevolent messengers They just want me to know I'm alive. And the only thing I have to do, as long as something isn't pinching, right, or like really, really hurting, is to stay there and breathe. And that was one of the key practices that helped me start to form a new relationship with my body, to realize it has things to say. Those things to say may sometimes feel good and may sometimes feel, quote unquote, not great. And yet, none of it has to be changed or fixed, right? I get to be with it first. Does that 
make sense? Or what, as, as you hear that, you know, and are in this place, what does that feel like to you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that does make sense. And I'm just, you know, thinking about how I can try to breathe through my feelings, because I think a lot of it right now is the emotional process of of those feelings yes. and such a big life change. And also kind of hearing what you say, like just honoring the symptoms that I, I was having and I, I am having. I'm, I'm only like literally less than two weeks on the gluten-free diet now. So it's like super new. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just realizing that my body was telling me things for a long time that I had written off as, oh, I'm burned out, I'm stressed, things aren't working properly. That's why I'm having so many digestive issues and headaches and pain. And then it was this whole other thing that I had never thought of. And so, you know, just realizing that that pain was telling me something and something I mentioned at the mental health and wealth hangout last week, which is my peer support group that we have every other Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific. If anyone listening wants to join, check out mentalhealthandwealth.com. Um, I was mentioning that, you know, anytime you have such a big life change, whether it's a diagnosis, an illness, a breakup, divorce, job change, whatever, insert whatever drastic life change, it really mm -hmm. puts a flashlight onto all of the areas that you really have to continue working on yourself. And that's been, been such a eye opener for me because I felt like I have grown so much in the past five years on my deep healing journey. And I'm just, you know, seeing these areas that I still have a lot of work to do, you know, for example, having to be at restaurants and saying, is this gluten free? Like, it sounds like it mm -hmm. should be a small task, but for me to have to rock the boat, to ask for what I need, and then sometimes people don't even know what I'm talking about, and then having to navigate that awkward space, I mean, um, you know, it's just, it's highlighting the areas that I still need to work on. So, you know, I think all yes. of that is relevant. And then, yeah, I do need to kind of heal my relationship with my body and don't think of it as my enemy, but something that was telling me something for a long time that I had written off as burnout and stress, but no, it's not. And yeah, you know, this is something many people experience. So it's not like I'm a flawed human being. This is just what happened. And we all have things that happen to us or, or don't happen to us, but you know, this is the flavor that came into my life and, and that's okay. Yes. And the other thing I'll add, Melanie, because it's something that I really had to learn is the power of that acknowledgement and honoring and the release. Because so much of it is, you know, we have so many feelings when, when these situations come up. I mean, they're traumas, right? It's a whole new way of being. These, these diagnoses, uh, they're, they're a huge change. And so there's the circumstance of it. There's all the feelings of it. And one of the things that in full honesty, I was not very good at when I was younger. So the, you know, when I was experiencing my cancer treatments for 18 months, I don't know that I ever fully allowed myself to feel the intensity and first, and then to release it. Right. I cried, but it was, I was always very stoic isn't the right word, but I try to put the silver lining or, you know, I've, I mean, I'm a life coach. I've probably always been a life coach in a way, you know, I try to find like the lesson kind of in it all versus staying in the intensity of it sometimes. And this is why, you know, yin is this interesting practice because it kind of mirrors that to stay in the intensity sometimes helps us then release it. So whether it's journaling, right? I love brain dumping to just give all of my feelings and my emotions a place to be, a place to be honored, and then a place to be on paper so that I don't have to hold on to them in my brain, at least for that moment, right? It's another reason I love dancing or movement. I recently took, you'll laugh, a belly dancing class. <laughs> and one of the drills that we did every week was a knee shimmy. And it's really just like imagine if you're you know moving one knee then the other slowly at first and then faster and as you do that the whole body starts to shake, and in that there's a beautiful release of whatever it is we're holding on to. So this ability to to notice and honor 
you know, and acknowledge, use whatever terms you want, and then give it a place to go. The body is made to eliminate things. And so that process of release or elimination is something that I had to learn because I wasn't very good at it. And it has, it is something that I keep coming back to. And in all the work that I do with my clients is so whenever I invite them to, to shake or anything like that, they're like, oh, this is ridiculous, Eleanor. What are you making us do? And then afterwards, I'm like, oh, <laughs> right. There's this feeling. Um, yeah, it, you're not deleting the circumstance, but you're offering it an opportunity to move through you instead of getting stuck. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And I'm actually so jealous because I've been wanting to take belly dance classes for a long time. And now I'm re-inspired to look into local classes. That sounds so fun. So fun. So and it was, and, but honestly, so what's funny about me taking a belly dance is it was born out of my curiosity when I had started seeing my whole kind of sacral area as something that needed to be fixed. Right. So I mentioned I'm constantly like I'm constantly in process. I had landed there again not too many months ago. And when I paused and asked myself, okay, if I weren't trying to fix this, what would I do? And it was like this little whisper out of nowhere. <laughs> belly dancing. Belly dancing. That's ridiculous. And I wrote it down. And then the next day I Googled, you know, belly dancing near me. And this was, I think, a Friday morning. <laughs> And I found a studio 20 minutes away that had a four-week beginner class starting the following Sunday. And I was like, oh, okay, here we go. Sign up. <laughs> right? So, so I share that um, because it was totally born out of that curiosity as the antidote to the fixing and seeing myself as broken. I love that. And I think it's so important, you know, what you mentioned about we're always in processing, but we also need to have a mechanism for releasing whatever that may be, mm. you know, therapy with friends. I am a big fan of movement. As you mentioned, people know on the podcast, mm. I love boxing. I think dance is also mm. powerful. I, I, I'm curious about belly dancing. So any way that can be a way of releasing all the things that come up in our body. And so um, thank you so much for sharing that. Hey there, thanks so much for listening to the Mental Health and Wealth Show. I wanted you to pause real quick and take a mindful minute. Close your eyes and take a deep breath. And exhale. Take a deep breath again. And exhale. Taking a moment for yourself is so important for your mental health. Now, before we get back to the show, I just wanted to say, if you are enjoying this episode, please review the podcast and share it on social media and tag me at Melanie Lockhart and share your thoughts. It'll really help spread the word about the show and help others with their money and mental health. You can also support this independent podcast and buy me a coffee at ko-fi.com forward slash Melanie Lockhart. I wanted to switch to a little bit of the financial since this is the mental health and wealth show. So, you know, you dealt with this mm -hmm. pregnancy and also all of the, the donor um, situation where you were doing all this work with the time and resources. And then also you had the cancer scare. You know, how did this affect your financial life? And did your view on money change during these times? Oh, <laughs> It's quite a yes. loaded question, no I know. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, but it's funny because I think I've only recently understood kind of the impact of where my relationship with money was at that time, the impact of those specific circumstances, events, and how that kind of got me to where I am. So when I was sick, I was in my early 20s and luckily had, you know, amazing health insurance. And so to some degree, and I had just gotten engaged, <laughs> by the way, to someone that I never married because we were 23 and 24 and here was this massive life thing and whole story for another time. But I don't know that I paid a whole lot of attention. I, I, I 
let's just say I was very privileged. I'm the daughter of a now retired neurosurgeon. My fiance at the time was the son of a radiologist, right? We had a lot of resources at our disposal, both with their connections and in terms of our health insurance. So I was very lucky. But what happened right after that is when my now ex-fiance moved out, there I was. <laughs> Um, without a full-time job because I had been a preschool teacher and I had wanted to go get my master's in education at the time and in, in a house that uh, we were really renting from my parents at that time. And so I had to rely on the support of my parents. And I remember being super grateful for that and also thinking, Okay, this is one more place, right? In my body and now in my finances, I wish to be self-sufficient. Like that was really the craving. I just wanted to be self-sufficient because it almost felt like a weight to be constantly um, receiving support. Then I got married and had, you know, the whole donor egg thing, you know, again, I have a lot of gratitude for my growing up. We liquidated my trust fund for the $50,000 of that donor egg. <laughs> and we did get it back. Um, we ended up using that to invest on a kitchen renovation, which seems so ridiculous now when I say it out loud. Um, but what that led to was, when then I got divorced from my now ex-husband, my daughter's dad, was only two and a half years, three years after she was born. So there I was, a classroom teacher with a master's, with a baby, needing support again. And I was again, very fortunate that, I, that there was support for me to receive. And yet I just started feeling like, here I am, I'm never gonna be self-sufficient, right? My future is not sustainable. And it's taken me years, but at some point in the last six months, I realized what if the idea of being supported didn't have to mean something was wrong, right? What if I could really look at that with gratitude and perhaps now flip the equation on how can my work now help me support others? whether that's financially or energetically or all of those things. But it was really um, this interesting thing because as grateful as I was, I saw it as a, a big neon sign that I was wearing that you know I couldn't take care of myself. And, and that led to you know overspending. I mean, because it just, it was this very strange relationship that I had with money, believing that I wasn't good with money. And so now as an entrepreneur, I, I really had to you know, make nice with that part of me and learn to see me and money in a different relationship um, because it wasn't going to work if I kept thinking I was bad with money and couldn't be self-sufficient. Thanks so much for sharing. I love all of your stories about you know, your relationship with money. And I think it's so important to practice gratitude when we do have that privilege and resources from our family, friends, what have you, because so many people do not. But then, as you mentioned, it can bring a lot up in you where you're like, I can't do this alone. And, you know, I think that is also something to be proud of when people are and can be self-sufficient. Like that is something that you can be proud of. But then when you're getting that support, it can bring up a lot of things that you might want to fix or, or change. And as you mentioned, entrepreneurship, entrepreneurship is another uh, flashlight into all your money <laughs> mindset issues about pricing and value mm -hmm. and worth. And am I good with money or am I not good with money? Or can I charge this or not? Is this valuable? And, and I mean, self-employment in general will really help you fix your mindset issues or at least bring them to your attention quickly. Yes. Yes. It's so true. And it, it's funny because I never, I never thought of myself as, you know, I'm going to become an entrepreneur. That was not at all. I was a classroom teacher. And then I, you know, when I decided this was the, the next path, I never really saw, you know, life coach and entrepreneur in the same phrase. And I realized I was like, Oh, Oh, <laughs> it actually is because it is a business, right? And it is. And 
And now really seeing it, I, this is something um, that I think I've actually been really empowered by, the switch to seeing, okay, right, what if being supported was actually a gift in a way, meaning the ability to receive from others, right? A lot of us, apart from not being good to, to ask for what we need, <laughs> um, aren't very good at receiving, right? In general, compliments, money, presence, you name it. We're, a lot of us are bad at it. And I definitely was probably bad at it, especially related to money. And so this idea that, okay, receiving support, maybe that's a gift, you know, for me to be able to say thank you and for the people that are able to support. And that's now something that I'm really thinking about in terms of kind of the, the work that I'm doing and the legacy that I want to create and really creating ways to help support people. <laughs> and if money, you know, if we believe that money is energy, it's just a currency of energy. And so um, that has been a really interesting shift for me. Yeah, I think that's so great. You know, you have this support that you've received. And, and yeah, I agree that money is currency and energy. And so this was one medium for it to flow into your life. And then you have been empowered with this gift of, I can learn how to receive when I need it. And also, I mean, anyone that does have a safety net, it does feel psychologically safe to have that support as well that can make a huge difference in your money mindset and then but i love what you said to kind of also help others with that so you know you realize i've had this gift now let me give this gift to other people as well so that i can pay it forward right yeah absolutely absolutely and it's you know it's become very important to me uh, to be able to do that in a lot of different ways and and I think we have to remember that there are a lot of ways. It doesn't have to be large chunks, sums of money that we're always you know, just giving, that there are a lot of ways we can support others financially, absolutely, and energetically. And this idea that you know, money is this interesting thing. I think a little bit like the body, right? We have this love-hate relationship with it. And you know, now as the daughter of an eight, almost 18-year-old who's like, you know, who needs money and capitalism and all of these things. And I'm like, all right, you know, pie in the sky, Gen Zer that you are. Um, it's, it's a reminder that, you know, there's a lot that we can do in the world. And when we, when we begin to change the relationship, when we stop seeing things as good or bad and we create, you know, that, that idea of flow and alignment of really being, making decisions, even money decisions from a place of, is this aligned with my truest self? So for me, that means checking in with my core values, right? Is this expenditure, for instance, going to help me nurture my core values or bring those values or my work or my gifts or whatever it is into the world versus the, you know, the spending just because. And look, I spend just my husband and be like, okay, okay, really? Because you spend just because sometimes still. <laughs> um, but that idea more and more, I'm learning at least to ask myself for that question for discernment. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, right now it's so important to make sure that we are spending on our values. And I love that you mentioned bringing your core values to the forefront of your money because it is another way to exchange energy. And also, mm -hmm. you know, there's this book called Your Money or Your Life where it talks about the hours that you trade for working results in income that you spend on other purchases. So for example, you know, if you make $20 an hour and this purchase is $40, that's two hours of work. And I know that concept when I was paying off debt 10 years ago was so life-changing to me to be like, do I really want to spend two hours of work on this one thing? Will that really be worth it? And sometimes you might say, yes, absolutely. And sometimes you might be like, oh no, after thinking about it that way, two hours of work, no, like absolutely not, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You know, I it's funny, you mentioned that. I, I just led a retreat this last weekend and I decided 
to add some things in towards the end. I had been thinking about them and I'd gone back and forth, right? All the overthinking about should I, shouldn't I, because they were not small expenditures. But when I thought about the why behind them, I, and I think about this sometimes with time, right? When we prioritize productivity and managing our time, I always like to remind myself and my clients to prioritize the why instead. And I think that that is also connected to money, right? Prioritizing the why. So when I looked at, for instance, renting this lounge tent, this yurt style tent that was going to be an additional space for the retreat, it felt delightful, like it was going to be a, a, a delightful surprise for my retreaters, and delight is another one of my core values. It also felt like it was going to create a space of belonging, which is another core value, right? The why behind it. And what ended up happening is exactly that. On breaks, pairs of people would go into this tent and just be in close connection with one another and having you know, really thoughtful conversations with one another. Um, there was delight because people were taking photos. All of that came true. So when I really started to think about the why, my reason behind making the decision and connecting it with my core values, at that point, it was a no-brainer. And so th those are some of the filters and practices that I've learned over time. Yes, that sounds so fun. And I definitely want to check out any future retreats you have and definitely sounds amazing. <laughs> so, um, you know, you do work as a life coach and have gone through quite a lot yourself. So I'm curious, you know, what are some tips for people to navigate a life change and find more joy in uncertainty? Yeah. So when I think about, you know, navigating change and finding joy, no matter what's happening around us. I kind of think of three pillars or ingredients. The first is to get rooted. And getting rooted, right, we hear the term getting grounded, getting centered a lot. And there are a lot of different ways that we can get rooted, but one is in our body, like we talked about before. Another is becoming rooted in the present, right? So really connecting to the present moment. A few practices that I love to do that I mentioned the brain dump already. But another that I love is, well, if I'm going to connect it in the body, something like a child's pose of just being in a child's pose for you know five to 10 breaths. But also asking myself something like, you know, what do I know for sure in this moment? Because there's a lot we can think about the past, we can think about the future. And this is, a, this is a beautiful practice to help us, to help me and the clients that have used it stop overthinking, right? To get out of that spin cycle that takes us out of our truth. So just this simple question, what do I know for sure in this moment? And that could be, you know, starting with the facts, you know, noticing my dog is sleeping on my purple couch right now. <laughs> If I was going to start, right? It's cloudy. And, and then allowing, so it really brings us back into the present. The second ingredient or pillar that I'd offer is this idea of getting curious. Because judgment's always going to be there. <laughs> so stepping into curiosity as the antidote, if you will. And I think there are a lot of different ways we can be curious. One of them, that I find particularly helpful, especially when a life change is happening, is to notice what is working. And this is like a sibling to gratitude, I would say. But, you know, the brain has a negativity bias, right? It wants to notice all the things that aren't working. But when we really sit with ourselves and notice, okay, what is working? What's going right? What progress can I notice? is a really beautiful way to check in with yourself. And it takes effort. Let me be super clear. And this is the question that my clients love to hate. <laughs> They're like, oh, you're going to ask it again, aren't you? And I say, yes. But what's so funny is that the minute they start answering and looking for evidence of what's working, their whole expression changes, right? They start to feel empowered. So I love that question to just explore what's working. What do you think about that one? <laughs> Amazing. Such helpful tips and questions to bring us back into the moment and kind of navigate 
uncertainty. And as you mentioned earlier, uncertainty is a normal part of life, no matter if we think things are very certain right now, they're absolutely not. <laughs> Usually when we feel things are certain, it's just like this kind of veil of certainty, but there's the undercurrent mm -hmm. of uncertainty always brewing underneath. And that's part of the human experience. It's part of being alive. And I think many times we all just want to feel more alive, more passionate, yeah. more emboldened, more vibrant, but we think that something big has to happen to feel that way. Like we have to have this life-changing trip or the best sex ever or the most passionate love story or the best job ever, you know, whatever, insert your fantasy here. But what are some small ways that we can feel more alive and enjoy the human experience? Yes. Oh, well, <laughs> you're speaking my language. So, you know, I... I, again, I always start in the body. So one of my favorite ways, honestly, to connect to aliveness is to stand with my feet slightly you know, wider than my hips, my arms up and extended out, and my gaze lifted. If you stay there for even just three breaths, I dare you not to smile. <laughs> I've tried this. I tried this with my, well, she was then a surly tween, um, right? Who she was like, no, this isn't. But it's, you know, that's based on, if you think about, um, oh, who is it? Amy Cuddy, who has a TED Talk on power poses and things, right? It's this very opening shape. And, and it allows us to breathe and feel our heart burn, our heart open, not heartburn. Um, and right. And there's just this openness that we invite in, in that shape. So that's one really delicious practice um, that you can really take anywhere. You don't need anything special for it. The other practice that I love in terms of, you know, allowing yourself to tap into aliveness. Well, there are two, but I mean, there are probably a lot more, but <laughs> one's to notice where we have expectations. So I often talk about, you know, you've heard me say that curiosity is the antidote. <laughs> expectations, on the other hand, for me and for I think a lot of us are kryptonite, right? Expectations make us grippy. They keep us focused on a specific outcome. You know, they, even in uncertainty, we, we want to have it. We have expectations. And so there's this idea of a surf instructor once said this to me, could I practice determination instead of expectation, right? Allowing myself to make progress, but letting go of what I was expecting it to look like. And that is a really powerful way to tap into our aliveness because we start to notice other things. And, you know, just, and it, it, it invites us to be curious. It invites us to really notice, to be present. So that's one that I love. And the last, and you might get a giggle, is a question that you can ask yourself really at any time. But I started to ask myself this during the pandemic when day after day, right, there was a whole lot of uncertainty and it was in that kind of languishing stage that I was in, that I think many of us were in. And the question was, what would feel delicious in this moment? Ooh, and this question that. was a game. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> this question was kind of a game changer for cultivating the quality of life that you want to feel more of on any given day. So when I first asked myself this question, it was, um, I was getting ready in the morning, right? And kind of the regular things, the, the watch goes on, the ring goes on, the bracelet goes on, and I'm in my closet and I just pause and I was like, okay, <laughs> if I'm going to step into my aliveness, right? Not have this be just one more day where I'm wearing, you know, a different, you know, pair of yoga pants from the same yoga pants drawer <laughs> and a comfy sweatshirt what would feel delicious today? And the answer that I got was wearing my great grandmother's pearls, <laughs> which might sound somewhat ridiculous, but it was, what's so fascinating about it is I had looked at this red velvet bag in my drawer for years, right? It had been there kind of, on, you know, I, I saved those pearls for special occasions. 
And yet here I was thinking, could I wear them just around the house? <laughs> and, and it felt, and literally, and this is kind of a heavy, a heavy piece, and I'm putting it on my neck, and I remembered my mom saying to me once, so the thing about pearls is, and this might be like an urban legend, who knows, but that the they they maintain their luster the more you wear them. There's something about the moisture of the skin that helps them keep their shine. So I was literally putting them on thinking, well, they're helping me tap into my aliveness, and I, by wearing them, I'm helping them, you know, kind of um, illuminate, right? Be, be, have their shine. I don't know what the right word is. And wearing those pearls connected me to my ancestors, right? To my grandmother, to my great grandmother, that these pearls had, you know, had been on their necks. I, Melanie, wore those pearls every single day, including when I was gardening, maybe not the best decision for months. <laughs> Because it I just, love it. It just felt, I didn't, right? It just felt so good. So this question, it seems so, you know, people are like, well, the answer is chocolate. What would feel delicious? I'm like, well, maybe. But if your heart were going to really answer that question, what would feel delicious in this moment? Maybe it's to call a friend you haven't spoken to in a while. Maybe it's to go read, a, you know, five minutes in a comfy chair. Maybe it's to just go outside and look up at the birds or the sky right? It could be, the answer could be anything. And it's really not about the doing. It's about connecting to that feeling and kind of honoring that aliveness that's inside of us. <laughs> so those are the three practices that I would offer for tapping into that aliveness. Those are amazing tips and love it. So everyone listening, figure out what will make you feel delicious today. What will be the most delicious thing that you can do to feel more alive and boost your day? This has been such an amazing interview. I so appreciate you being on the show. If people wanted to work with you, where can they find you? Yeah, the great place to go is my website, elenasanino.com. And on that website, you'll find a few things, all sorts of fun pictures and different things. But on the homepage, if they scroll down, there's a 10 minute practice to help you find your joy. That's a yin yoga practice. So you can play with that and get to know me through that. You can also find information about the book on that page, uh, Inhabit Your Joy, A Book of Nudges, which is available in local booksellers through bookshop.org and of course, Barnes and Noble and Amazon. And then the other place I like to hang out uh, is Instagram. So those are good places to find out more, to get to know me and to reach out, ask questions. I love offering nudges, celebrating, and certainly, you know, um, between my retreats and group experiences, you know, in any way that I can support uh, individuals, I'm delighted and honored to get to do that. Perfect. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for listening to the Mental Health and Wealth Show. Want more content and support? Sign up for the Mental Hump newsletter and get our free mental health and money inventory worksheet. You can sign up at mentalhealthandwealth.com and also check out our other blog posts and podcast episodes. Also, we host a mental health and wealth hangout every other Thursday over Zoom at 5 p.m. Pacific to chat about all things money and mental health. If you'd like to support the podcast, it would mean so much to me if you left a review and you can also support me at ko-fi.com forward slash Melanie Lockhart. And lastly, I want to remind you to do something for yourself to take care of your mental health and wealth.